Hallelujah. Good evening, everybody. Let's take it just a couple minutes and just uh, just pray. Get centered in. Just ask the Lord to calm every other voice so we can hear. I thank you, Jesus, and I bless you this evening. I love you, worthy one. You are amazing and you are faithful and you are good and you are true. God, let your presence come. Let your voice be loud in our ears tonight. Let us hear you, Jesus. Let us hear you, Jesus. Let us hear you. Come, Holy Ghost, and teach us tonight. Speak to us. Teach us how to walk in love and in unity, God. Jesus' name, Father, we ask for you to make us of one mind. Let us come into agreement to see your kingdom established, Father. Let us be one, Father, as you and your Son and your Spirit are one. Come on, Jesus, we love you and we bless you tonight. We love you and we bless you tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hope everybody's good this evening. We're kind of wrapping this up with with what I felt like the Lord wanted me to do out of the life of Abraham. There's really no end to how how much further I think you could probably keep going with this, but I think I'm getting close to being done with what the Lord wanted me to speak on at this time during this season. And it's been really awesome for me. And I'm going to read in 1 Corinthians for just a minute. And then I'm going to come back and and I want to talk about a couple of things that I didn't really fully go into or didn't go into at all Sunday. I was not my intention to talk about Abraham on Sunday, but the closer we got to it, I just felt like that's what I should do and do it corporately with the church and with the family. But being that a lot of those, a lot of the people that were present Sunday had not been here and had not heard a lot of the foundation that had been laid up to that point, I didn't want to touch some things because there would have been no way for me to bring everybody up to speed unless everybody wanted to be here all day. And so I just kind of didn't touch a couple of things that I want to really stress more tonight. And uh, But I'm going to read in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Here's my microphone again. I am. There, I think I got it right there. <laughs> In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. It says, I'm reading in the Passion. It says, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, for the sake of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 10. It's funny because, you know, in Mexico, when you get in a village and people start getting Bibles, it's usually the first book they've ever had. And, uh, you know, they don't read very well because of education. They, they don't have reading glasses. are not very common. They're expensive, so... 
You deal with a lot of poor eyesight with the ones that can read. Uh, it's just different. And so when you say, okay, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that's like a five-minute ordeal. And so when you say you're going to go to another verse, another part of the Bible, that's another five-minute ordeal. And so you, you learn to stay in one place and preach. <laughs> um, and so it's a really big thing when you're learning how to, to, to preach and minister to, to the people there that you, you learn to be patient as people turn and find their Bibles and you're walking around helping people in these villages. A lot of times they're new believers and you're, you're going and turning their Bibles for them. It's right here and you're doing that. It, it's a, it takes a minute. It takes a minute to do church. So it's taught me not to be in a hurry and, uh, and to realize how God's just not, as, not affected by time as much as we are. We think if we don't get it in the moment, we're going to lose and we're not going to be able to capture it again. And that's just not how God operates. Um, but anyway, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. It says, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, for the sake of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to agree to live in unity with one another and put to rest any division that attempts to tear you apart. Be restored as one united body living in perfect harmony Form a consistent choreography among yourselves, having a common perspective with shared values. I love how that says that. I'm going to read it again. I urge you, my brothers and sisters, for the sake of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to agree to live in unity with one another and put to rest any division that attempts to tear you apart. Be restored as one united body living in perfect harmony. Form a consistent choreography among yourselves, having a common perspective with shared values. That is, that is an amazing statement right there, and that should be the desire and, and the goal and the drive of every family of God everywhere that we as brothers and sisters, we begin for the sake of the name of our Lord Jesus to live in unity with each other and not allow for there to be any division among us that would tear us apart. Because when we are one and we are one in him, then there, there is nothing that cannot be accomplished through the family of God on this planet. But when we are divided and we all are speaking a different language, and we all have different things we hold in, in, in higher esteem than the name of Jesus, it's very little that we're able to accomplish. And so, hell, the devil is very astute at rendering the family of God useless by simply introducing foolish divisions. And he knows how to take away our authority and our power by simply enticing our, our flesh, the lust of our flesh, to be right or to be better or just simply playing on, on the carnal desire of somebody to prefer themselves over everybody else instead of doing it in the opposite fashion. It's where you prefer your brother and your sister over yourself, and there is an actually opportunity for unity to come into the family of God. And so as we mature in God, we, we, we have to become more and more aware 
of how the enemy is trying to operate in our midst so we can immediately recognize him and put him down. And we can immediately recognize another deceitful tactic and begin to deal with it properly in the moment before it has a chance to put roots in the middle of the family of God and, and separate us as we sit together Sunday after Sunday. But everybody has a wall between them. There's a division here and there's a division there. And we, the, in, in prayer this morning out at our property, the, several people had a word from the Lord about God wants to tear down the walls uh, it was a pretty unique thing because before the, those words came forward, I was praying and, and, and God spoke to me out of these verses in Corinthians and it wasn't something I came in there thinking about. I just, while we're up there praying, the Lord just spoke those verses to me and I shared them and then a couple of the people in the prayer meeting actually got up and said, well, this is what the Lord told me, that we're supposed to begin to tear down the walls, that we cannot allow the walls to be here. And it's funny because Miss Crystal sent Brother Kevin a message during prayer about unity. He showed it to me. And because all of a sudden all these words started coming about the unity, it's time for unity, about us being one and all of these different things. And Miss Crystal's not even in the prayer meeting, and she's sending Kevin a message. And hopefully he, it's okay that he showed me. If not, you can, you can fix him later. Um, and it's just neat because when the Spirit of the Lord begins to speak to a family, and especially when a family is trying to move in unity, it's amazing how much we're hearing the same thing, and we just begin to echo it back to one another. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And so when I was reading that this morning, it, it really began to deal with me. And I, I just I want to use that to just look back on, on a couple of things in the life of Abraham before we move on. And, and there, I'm, I'm just going to do it now because there's a couple of things that God, this morning I, I didn't get very much and I really wasn't sure what to do this evening, which has not been, uh, it was the first time that's really happened to me, but there was something that came on me during prayer and it's, and I'm going to talk about it for just a second. Because you know, now in the aftermath of, of everything that's going on politically and wherever we're at and all that, and I, and I just I don't care. Um, you know, there's all kind of people saying all kind of different things. It's just all kind of stuff out there now, like there was before. You know, and I, I am a firm believer that it's the kingdom of God that changes the world you live in. I have set my hope on Jesus and nothing else. I don't trust in anything else. I don't believe in anything else. I ain't looking for nothing else to fix my world. I'm looking for Jesus to do it. And that doesn't mean I'm anti-anything. It's just, it seems like I'm anti-everything in comparison to how much I'm expecting Jesus to fix my world. And, you know, one of the boiling topics about, uh, you know, politics that, that Christians use to draw this line in the sand about what side they should be on is abortion. And, you know, that's, that's a pretty valid one. And, you know, I, I personally hate abortion. And uh, I just do because it's just not right. You know, gay marriage and all that stuff, I don't like that either, but you know, if you just got to have that, then me making a law about it ain't stopping you. It just doesn't bother me as much. Sorry, it just doesn't. Because I can't, I can't legislate your heart. 
And if you're already at that point, then I've already failed and missed my opportunity to make a difference. And it's not that I think it's right. It's not. Not if you want to please God. But when you begin to deal with abortion, you're dealing with somebody that doesn't even have an opportunity to decide if that's really what they want to be a part of or not. It's just forced on them. And and the only reason I'm bringing that up is because, you know, I personally have been a part of two or three abortions, and I can't even remember which number it is now. And, you know, I, I didn't know God. I didn't know Jesus. I was young, and I was stupid, and I was selfish, and I was scared. And so I've been on both sides of this. And the reason why I hate abortion now is not because of the law that some government has passed. It's because Jesus has come into my heart and spread the love of God abroad. And it's impossible for me to think and live and act the way I did before. And so things that I did before the love of God was shed abroad in my heart that to me I did without even hesitating or even considering. Now it's such a foreign concept in my life and it's not because I'm a good person or I've read a lot of Bible. It's because the Spirit of God came to dwell in me and He changed everything about how I viewed life from one moment to the next. And so I, I it just... You know, I look from my own personal history and and I look and I'm thinking, law did not change me. Jesus did. Law that was in place before to give me permission to do that was still in place after, but it all of a sudden became so illegal in my mind to even entertain a thought like that. It was as, as if, I, I, I still don't understand how I ever could have made that decision before, but I did. And, and when I think about where I stand now and I look at the abundance of life that God has given me after those decisions, having eight kids, it just, you know, it just crushes you. Because you see the goodness and the mercy of God. And, and so I don't know why the Lord wanted me to talk about that publicly. Uh, but I, I just felt like he did. And, and see, when I look at the nation around me and I look at the world around me, laws ain't fixing nothing. That's the most foolish thing to think laws are going to fix something. Now, it can deter and it should but if we begin to conquer the hearts of the people on the left and the right of us those laws fix themselves they fix themselves and it's only because the house of God is seated and given away more and more of their authority and their influence in the kingdom realm of God is the reason why we're even having the conversations about this stuff at this length that we are. Because I have had my life changed by Jesus because he gave me mercy I did not deserve. And I cannot escape how overwhelming that mercy is every day of my life. And things I did before that he has forgiven me from and let me understood 
the, the hurt that that came out of and it caused now allows me to touch people who were in the same positions or walking up to those same positions and intervene in a way that nobody intervened for me. And that is not giving them another rule or not giving them a condemnation, but giving them the love of God that shows him a better way. We were at David's tent and uh, across the street there's an abortion clinic and this was like one of the first days I was there. I can't remember exactly. And there's people that sit out there all the time. And I have friends that go there. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. But these particular people who were sitting there at the moment, uh, they just do things in, in a different way. And I saw a lady, because they had their chairs there and everything, and they got a microphone, they're yelling at the building the whole time. And I, I was across the street just watching, you know. And I saw this lady see somebody walk out a side door and go out to the back where the parking lot was. And she took off running. This old lady took off running up to the corner. And when she got to the corner, the car came out of the parking lot. And, and she obviously knew the routine. And she was standing exactly where the car had to pass by. And she's standing there on a microphone yelling at this car. Just yelling. Just like that. And, and I'm just watching that whole episode thinking, what, what are you doing? How, how is this going to work? Whose life are you influencing and changing? And, and I, I just don't see it that way. I, I was in Mexico City a few years ago, and there was a little girl who was a result of a rape, uh, just, you know, she's 17, 18, pretty little girl, never had a daddy. Just life is just upside down in every way. And, and all of a sudden, she becomes pregnant. And her mama comes to church, and she's been bringing her to church, you know, as long as I've known them, years. And, uh, and so there was, of course, there was a big thing in the church. And this little girl's in there, and she was saying that she had been attacked and all of these things and she didn't want to say who had done it and but and that was really because she was just embarrassed but she actually had just had a relationship and she became pregnant. And so the the mom and other people in there are trying to convince her to have an abortion. And the girl was wanting to commit suicide because she was under such condemnation. And of course, you know, this is one of the churches that I'm responsible for. And, and you know, I, I, when I come there to visit, you know, I get presented. I, I'd gotten some of the information before I got there. When I got there, you know, this was, this was full bore on. And, you know, just, I, I'm there and the little girl's there and, you know, and it, it's just a mess. It's just a mess. And, uh, and, you know, and my heart just was crushed for the little girl. I mean, she's not serving God. She's not trying to serve God. She, she's just living her life however she wants to and from all the places of hurt that it's coming from. And, uh, you know, and it, it was just rough. They were really on her. And, and so when I get there and I see this, and they're dragging her up there in front of the whole church and leading her in a prayer of repentance, just all kind of stuff. And... Uh, you know, and she's just got her head down, and you can just see the spirit of suicide all over. And she actually had already tried it once. And, uh, you know, I just walked over there and gave her a big hug in front of everybody. 
made everybody mad. And uh, just gave her a hug and just acted like everybody else wasn't there. And I just began to talk to her from a place of healing that Jesus had brought me when I was standing in the same position quite a few years ago. And I, I began to just tell her the value that she has and that she was created for purpose by God, even as being a victim of rape. And I just began to love on her and, and tell her how much I loved her and how much the love of God was, was for her so much greater than what even I felt as a daughter. And, and just in the middle of all of that swirling around her, the love of Jesus was able to penetrate her heart. And, and somehow or another, it broke through on her. And when I came back quite a few months later, because it's not a church I'd been, I, I got to go back to for a while, and when I finally went back, um, she, she had decided to keep her baby. She was doing better. I came back a few months after that, and she actually had a baby. And I walked in, and she handed me my baby in front of everybody, and she says, if it wasn't for you, this baby would be dead. I wouldn't have not had this baby if it was not for you. And she handed me the baby. And so I just believe differently. I, I believe there's a way to change this world, and I believe it's through Jesus. That doesn't mean you shouldn't vote. and do. I'm not saying that. But as a son of God, I have one sole vision, and that is changing the hearts of the people. And then things that they were given access or given, they were, they were allowing themselves to believe were, were solutions and options to their situations. All of a sudden, they're not anymore. And it's only because of the light of Jesus shining into their darkness. I, I'm deciding. That's the only way I'm living. And so I have seen that to be way more productive than standing and pointing a finger at somebody and trying to legislate their life. And I believe we should outlaw abortion. I'm not saying that. I absolutely believe that we should vote that down every chance we get. But even after that, the answer is conquering their hearts with the love of God. That little girl gave me on the one-year anniversary of, of the little baby, she gave me a little coffee mug. You know, they're, they're, they're poor. They ain't got no money. She had gotten a picture with me holding that little baby when she was newborn got the print put on a coffee mug and gave it to me on the one-year anniversary, the birthday of the little girl. And so, you know, when I'm in Mexico, when I'm drinking my cup, I see me and her. And it's amazing the amount of impact that we can change generationally when we understand where our real influence and power is. I know where mine is. I, I can look, and, and there's people that have done a lot of things and done much more than me and all that. And, but I, I can look at my life since Jesus is coming to my heart and I can see lives that are changed and that are in love with Jesus and are going towards Jesus now that were in absolute darkness, the same darkness I was in. But because I was allowed to share the love of God that's been shed abroad in my heart when I didn't deserve one, I've been allowed to share that with them. It has somehow been a beacon for them to come into the same embrace that I've come into. And I can look around now and see families who did not know God where they're all going after the Lord now. And all I have to do is keep, keep being a beacon of hope and light and letting the love of God pour out of me 
and, and rivers of living water for everybody to drink from, and I'll change my world. If it's one family at a time, it'll be one family at a time. And, you know, I, I, I don't share that publicly very much. I don't know if I ever have, really. But I, I just, I don't know why the Lord was on me about this particular, to say that tonight. And, you know, and most people would never, you know, it's uncomfortable to make that statement, but, you know, that's just where I came from. And, and God completely overran my, my sin and my failures and my, my selfishness with mercy and goodness. Where I've got kids everywhere I look, physically and spiritually now. And so it just, it just breaks my heart in, a, in an amazing way, not in a hurtful way, but in an amazing way with how deep the goodness and the love of God is. That your, your, your mistakes and your sinful decisions that you made before, and even when you were still maybe walking with the Lord, His love and His mercy is still that much greater. And that mercy and that love is what changed the world. When Jesus hung on the cross with hands pierced by nails and feet pierced by nails, side pierced and all, all of this, and, and he says, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. The, and he dies with that on his lips in that way. It, it says that the Roman soldier there said this was surely a righteous man. Because even in a tormented, dying way, Jesus' only act was love and mercy. And the man who probably was responsible for making sure the nails in the, in the hands and the feet were put there, he, he, he was convinced because of the love of God that poured out of Jesus as he was hanging on a cross. That's just amazing to me. So anyway, that's kind of a sidetrack, but I feel like I've been obedient to the Lord now. But, I, I, you know, I don't know who that is for and why God would have me say that. But it, just doesn't, it does not matter what, what you've done. Yes, there are consequences. But there is a mercy that is greater than that. And I, I, just, I just can't get over how God changed my heart from one moment to the next. I mean, he changed me. When I walked out of my bedroom that night, I didn't need a law telling me not to go have an abortion. I didn't need it because the law of God was written on my heart and it came alive. And that was no longer even a consideration in my mind. And so I, I just believe that's the answer. And uh, I want to walk in that. Okay. Now I'm going to read again. Since I totally got sidetracked, not sidetracked, but did that for whoever that might be for. I urge you, brothers and sisters, for the sake of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to agree to live in unity with one another and put to rest any division that attempts to tear you apart. Be restored as one united body living in perfect harmony. Form a consistent choreography among yourselves having a common perspective with shared values. I want us to have shared values as a family of God.
I want us to be a consistent choreography that we move and operate and touch the world around us as one. And that requires us making some decisions to, to agree to live in unity with one another. Uh, Sunday, when I was talking about the situation between Abimelech and Abraham, it's just amazing because uh, Abimelech's people had taken Abraham's well that he had dug. And and I didn't get to really touch this too much, and I, I just, I didn't Sunday, but, you know, one of the amazing things of that is seeing the maturity of Abraham to not try to deal with that offense in his heart until he recognized that he could, he could do it in a way that wouldn't destroy the relationship. Abimelech had stole his well. He didn't even know about it, supposedly. His people did it, but that's still him. But Abraham had no confidence in, in the depth of relationship for Abimelech to respond properly. And Abraham, I'm sure, was certain in his heart that if he brought this offense to Abimelech demanding justice, that the pride of the king would not have been able to respond properly to the offense, even though Abraham would have been right. And so Abraham, being the more mature party in this relationship and being the one who had the real understanding of walking with the Lord and he had already been fathered to a certain degree by, by God, he was willing to endure the offense and give the relationship a chance to develop to the place where they could honestly deal with each other. And as us, as leaders in the house of God, which almost all of us are in some capacity, we have to be the people that have, that have experienced the goodness and the mercy of God to the degree that it allows us to properly deal with people who are not at the same level of maturity and understanding. And we need to be able to recognize that relationships are just not ready for me just to come and just start dealing with every offensive thing that comes out of somebody's mouth or every offensive act that they're doing because they just won't endure the, the, the rebuke and it'll shatter everything and it won't even give it a chance to really de develop organically. And that's real maturity in leadership and in, in people who have truly been fathered because they, they, they learn how to be able to be that person. They learn how to, to let offenses come and not let those offenses get their roots into their heart but they, they're, they, they're able to endure the offense for the chance that God's going to develop a relationship that's going to really bring life and health and be able to bring a covenant degree into that, into that, into that family. And as leaders, we've got to be able to do that as God brings us people in. As sons in this house, we need to be fathered to the degree that that's how we operate one with another because that's how we have learned God has operated with us. Abraham was completely acting out of his relationship with Yahweh because he knew how many times God had come to him, desired a relationship with him, blessed him in all these different things and with all these different areas, and he would just turn around and, and completely walk away out of that encounter and do the exact opposite thing is right. And God just did not crush him over it. He tenderly and mercifully came, would come back to him after a time and after he learned from the consequences of his decisions and he would reapproach him with the same love, with the same promise, with the same act of kindness as a father and would allow Abraham to realize and grow 
And then as God moved up in relationship with him, Abraham began to recognize, this is how Father is dealing with me. This is how I should deal with everybody else around me. And it just, it just amazes me because he, deal, he deals with Abimelech like this. There's no telling how long he had that offense in his heart or that offense had happened. Because I don't think it was in his heart, but how long that offense had passed. And when he recognized it, he dealt with it at the appropriate time. And he trusted that the relationship was now going to be able to endure it. But you, you go back, and, and I kind of mentioned this a while back, but you know God had been visiting Abraham, and there's no record of him ever visiting Sarah up until he walked into their house and ate at their table uh, in chapter 18. There's no record of him ever visiting Sarah. She, as far as we can read from Scripture, completely walked in, 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 in agreement with Abraham, at least physically and to some degree inwardly, but it wasn't because of her own personal revelation. It was because of the relationship that the Lord was, doing, was developing in Abraham, and she vicariously was able to walk in that with him, and, and, and she walked that way. And, and when God comes and speaks as he sits at her table and says, in a year from now, you're, Sarah's going to have a baby, it says she laughed. And Abraham's sitting there the whole time, and he never rebukes Sarah for laughing as they sit in the presence of God. Because in chapter 17, when God tells him Sarah's going to have a baby in a year, it says he fell down and laughed. It's amazing because it says that when God comes to him in chapter 17, I'll read it to you. Because it's just, I think it's pretty cool. We, we just, I think we don't value the patience of the Lord that he has with us. And because we don't value the degree of patience that he has with each one of us, we don't reciprocate that to people around us. In, in chapter 17, and I'll just read it in verse 1. It says, When Abraham was 99 years old, Yahweh appeared to him again and said, I am the God who is more than enough. Live your life in my presence and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you, and I will greatly multiply your descendants. Then Abram fell on his face in awe before God. So in verse 3, he falls on his face in awe before God. Now, when you move down to, uh, where are we at right here? In verse 15, God said, also said to Abraham, concerning your wife Sarah, you are not to call her Sarah anymore but Sarah, Sarah, I anymore but Sarah. My princess will be her name. I will wonderfully bless her and I will certainly give you a son through her. Yes, I will bless her greatly and she will become a mother of nations, king of nations, will arise among her children. Then Abraham laughed so hard, he fell to the ground and saying to himself, how in the world can a hundred-year-old man become a father? And how can my wife Sarah get pregnant at 90? So he falls down in awe of God in verse 3, and in verse 17, he falls down laughing. So somewhere between 3 and 17, he stood back up and was having a conversation with God. And, and so 
you know, as he came out of that and the Lord just continually reaffirmed his word in his heart, I think that loving kindness brought conviction on Abraham and, and he was able to recognize the patience of God with him and his immaturity and ability to actually wholly trust the Lord. And so I believe that really affected how he handled and dealt with Sarah. Because he realized, I can't fix her and I can't make her believe. And I can't make her see what I've seen. And I can't make her hear what I've heard. God, you're going to have to reveal it to her. But instead of getting mad and offended at her doubtful words, every time I tell her that you said that she's going to have a baby, I'm just going to trust that you're going to fix it. And I'm going to be patient in the relationship and actually allow her to mature to the place that her faith will be active in this promise that God has given and so he operated out of what he was receiving from the Lord and maturity developed in him allowed him to turn and actually walk in that same level of patience with Sarah and later in Abimelech. And that should be what's happening in each one of us. There should be a recognition of the mercy and the kindness of God and the patience of the Lord is on suffering with us that absolutely influences how we're dealing with everybody else around us. How we deal with our sons and our daughters and our wife and our visitors and our neighbors and anybody that comes in our world. There should be a level of patience and understanding. I, I was with the boys up in Tennessee a few weeks ago and one of their friends came with us from school who we're loving on. And, you know, my, my, my boys have grown up going to church and, you know, they just know what I expect and... And I try to be pretty lenient with them, you know, outside. When, it, when, I, when I stand up to talk, it's time for you to be quiet. I mean, that's pretty much the rule. You know, I don't care. You can run around all over the village pretty much while I'm visiting and stuff. But when I stand up to preach or to minister to people and to the Lord, it ain't time for you to talk no more. And so they had a lot of trips to the outhouse when they were little. And so they learned that I wasn't kidding. And so there was more than one occasion I, I just walked off the platform and drove a kid to the outhouse and came back and finished. And so they realized that even though I was standing up, there was, there was not a safe place for them. And, uh, and you do that a couple times, it's, imagine how, it's amazing how, how quickly people just, they, they tone it down. And uh, so they, you know, they understand, they're still kids. But we were in some situations in, 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 in our... My, my my little buddy was with us, you know, and he he would say some things that, you know, I, I wanted to, to get on him and rebuke him and, and say, dip, 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 don't do, don't, you know, and but I also it's like I can hear the Holy Ghost saying, well, you want him to act like he's been here his whole life? You want to you want to crush him before he even has a chance to understand where right and wrong is? Do you need to correct everything that comes out of the, are you going to give him a chance to mature and recognize what's happening around him and how other people around him are acting and give him a chance to, to conform to, to godliness that he's never been exposed to? Or you want to act like you were born knowing this too? It's like God was telling me all this. Yeah, I don't like them conversations. And, and I realized that's, you know, and it was just, it was just me forgetting how patient God's been with me to get to this point. You know, I laugh all the time because we have our missionary meetings in Mexico and we, when we were all there all the time, we would have one first every month. And Brother David, my boss, you know, 
it's a joke among all of the missionaries because the beginning of every monthly meeting, almost every monthly meeting for about five years, you know, it started off with, well, Bo, <laughs> and I was at the top of this infamous yellow pad, <laughs> and I was usually be like the first three or four things of mistakes I'd made, things I'd done wrong, and, and, uh, and it's just amazing because I thought, man, you're being so mean, and you're being, you're not, you know, you don't even, you don't even understand, and you're not, you don't have no patience, and I'm, I'm this is right, and I'm trying to do right, and, and I thought he was, I was really attacking me, and, and when I look back now, I'm thinking, my gosh, how did he not kill me the first year and send me back to Alabama? I would have, I fired, I would have fired myself ten times. I'd have kicked my own butt, and. Uh, but now, sitting where I'm at now, looking at back at the bow in 2001 and 2002, had only been saved for two years and thought he knew everything about God there was to know because I, I'd learned how to pray a little bit and read my Bible some and thought I had to answer for every situation I was in and had no place for anybody with any more experience and understanding to correct me or speak to me. I was a hard person to deal with. And uh, I just look back at that and I'm like, man, the patience that you had with me, Brother Dave, Mike, you need a, you need a trophy. You need a medal. But what that has done is it, it, it's helped me have patience and understanding. And, and sometimes it doesn't look like that, but it, it has. It has given me the ability to look at people and allow them to make mistakes and, and be patient and allow them to recognize and conform to a different degree of righteousness just by exposure and not trying to correct everything. Because when people walk in and live in a relationship with the Lord that's healthy and growing, the Holy Ghost is really amazing at doing His job. I've come to figure out it is not my job to point out what's wrong in everybody's life. It's my job to guide and help, but the Spirit of the Lord is really amazing at showing us where we need to change and conform to Him because we're out of order and we're not aligned properly. And, and Abraham, it, it just, it's amazing when I look at his life and how long he walked in this process with the Lord and how amazing the patience of God was with him, but how he turned around and was able to to duplicate that to people around him. And what that did is it allowed there to be a chance of unity that if he would have just come down like a bull in a china shop because not everybody was where he was at, there would have never been a place to come into unity with Sarah to see a miracle of a baby born when she was 90 years old. And he himself would have crushed the promise of God because he would not have had the patience to allow God to do the work in her that they could come in unity together in the faith and see the miracle of God because he's not getting a baby until she believes. I believe that. I believe that she had to believe as much as he had to believe for the promise of God to come to pass. And they both had an equal part in that. And until she was able to see the Lord and believe with her own heart that God was going to do what he had promised, they weren't getting a kid. And Abraham, in his, in his maturity and his understanding and his constant failing with the Lord and the mercy of God, he, he got to the place he was, uh, he was able to allow God to do that work in her and not try to do it himself. And he was rewarded for that by God doing something he would never have been able to do. Because I'm pretty sure for 20-something years he had been trying to get her convinced she was going to have a baby. And he couldn't until God spoke to her.
And I, in my own life, I know that there's been times where I have crushed relationships before because I did not operate in a degree of patience that God had been operating in me with. And because people wouldn't hurry up and get there and believe that I, 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 I broke things that should have never been broke. I've been thrown out of quite a few churches um, in my, my short time. And the first church I got through out of was probably the most hurtful. And uh, I was brand new and I had to help start it. And I, I just, I had gotten radically saved by the Lord. And I had made a decision that this is real and nothing else matters. I had a job. I was selling copiers. You know, I, I had a life to do. But I, I had made a decision. I'm, nothing else matters. And we'd go out on the strip in Tuscaloosa and hand out tracts and stand on the corners and preach to everybody coming in out of the bars. And, and, you know, not in a hateful way, but we just, I mean, this Jesus changed our life. And this is who he is, just preaching to everybody. And we started a church right there on the strip. And it's funny because, you know, we would go out there every night. But some of the people got fatigued with that in the, in the church. And they thought, let's let's just uh, you know, let's let's it's Saturday, it's game day, the people are gonna be walking up and down the strip. Let's just do hot dogs and hand out hot dogs and and you know, let's just give cokes and let's let's just, you know, let's just hang out here at the church today and give people food as they walk by. You know, I'm like, people are going to hell and you wanna give them hot dogs? We wanna be full when they get there. You know, I had no understanding. Uh, I, I mean I really I mean and you can imagine how that rebuke was at that stage of my life. It was not as, as finesse as it is now. It was brutal. I mean, I was just like, y'all y'all going to go to hell with them. Y'all just want to fill them up with y'all. Everybody's going to hell. Uh, and I just had no understanding of how much patience God had had with me up to that point. And so my mind was so locked in and focused on one way that I, I, I couldn't even hear anything else. And if you even said anything else, I just was taking out a sword and chopping it to a thousand pieces and you were in the hell category like everybody else. And, you know, of course, I, I know that's not right. But I thought it was in the moment. And um, I remember there's this famous thing. Isaac can tell you about it all the time. He loves telling this story. But we were there and our pastor got up and preached this sermon about if anybody's offended you, you know, you should go and make it right with them tonight. And, you know, there's not about 30 people in our church. We had started there. I'm not offended, man. I'm happy loving Jesus. I'm good with everybody. I lay down on the carpet and worshiping God. I mean, you know, because everybody's supposed to be getting forgiveness and all that. But I ain't got nobody to forgive, so I'm just laying down there worshiping God. And I've been down there five or ten minutes just talking to Jesus with my face in the floor. And I, I go to get up off the carpet, and I turn around, and, like, the whole church is in line waiting for me to get up. <laughs> you should hear Isaac tell this story. And, uh, and they did. I had to sit there for quite a long while because everybody wanted to say, I forgive you. I forgive you for offending me. I forgive you. And I, they, everybody had a list. And it wasn't me being doing wrong. It was just the harshness and the lack of understanding and patience and, and mercy. And, and, uh, and it just I didn't have any of that operating at, at that level in my life. And I had offended everybody in the church. And I obviously didn't learn because I eventually got called into the office and said, you know, you're going to Mexico, right? Yes, sir. Said, yeah, you probably should go on and go. And uh, got invited to leave. 
And, and, and the reason was is because I brought too much condemnation on everybody else who wasn't willing to walk at the same pace that I was walking at. And I don't think that was right, but it also wasn't wrong. Uh, there, there should have been a different way that that could have been handled. But that is what I was producing. And it wasn't because I was thinking I was better than anybody else. I just didn't understand how you cannot see like I'm seeing. And not everybody had been touched like I'd been touched. Not everybody had heard what I'd heard. Not everybody was at where I was at. And that didn't, did not make me better. It's just everybody was in different places and having God do different things in them. But me not being mature, I did not understand that. I thought if you were born again, this is only way you could think and live and operate. And so I didn't have any patience for anything else. And, uh, but God helped me to learn that. I had a prophet sit me down one day and, uh, who was discipling me. And it was me and a y another young girl who was in our group who pretty much operated the same way I did. And he sat it down. He's like, man, y'all are on fire. I'm like, yes, we are. We're burning. And he's like, man, y'all are great. And, and y'all are doing so much. And man, y'all are just so decided. And we're like, yes. And he's like, but you're killing everybody around you. And, and I'm like, what? what do you mean? And he's like, what good is it to be on fire if all you do is burning up everybody? You're supposed to put people on, set them on fire, not burn them up. And, and he, he, he began to speak life into me that began to open my heart up to that understanding. And that is very important because when people begin to walk in the depth of relationship with Jesus and God really becomes real and more real and realer, to them. It's hard not, it's hard to understand why everybody's not walking and moving at the same pace you are because of how real he is being to you. Because it dwarfs everything else. And, and, and it makes it difficult to understand how people who have not received that visitation or have not totally had their heart open to the Lord yet, but they're still trying and they're they're there but they haven't had the same encounter that you've had and they're not at the same depth of relationship. You, you, we've got to learn how to be patient and not crush those relationships as they offend us with their apathy or with their, with their lack of zeal. And there has to be an opportunity for those relationships to develop in them people and our lives bringing them into a deeper place and not putting a wall between them and the place we really want them to be. Because we don't know how to properly allow them to get there. And we think if we shove them and kick them and drag them down the street, we'll get them there. And it doesn't work that way. One of the worst things I've seen over and over again is usually in a marriage when a husband and wife, and specifically the wife, is born again and been the, been the, 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 the matriarch of the family and with Jesus, and her husband finally gets born again. One of the things I've seen play out over and over again, when the, when the wife, and it, sometimes it's been the husband, has been that person holding the line for so long, when the husband really gets saved, they, they never let them come out of that place with, I've been holding the line for so long. And it's like they always are giving the testimony how they were the one standing here, and they were always the one who was faithful, and he was always the one doing this. And he's here, but one of these days he's going to come on and get hungry and start leading the family. One of these, and like he's not even sitting there. And you can just see the head of that husband go down, 
And it is such a discouraging thing. Instead of celebrating the fact that they're even inside of the kingdom now and trusting the God that brought them there will actually get them to the place you're desiring them to be without your help. And the greatest help you can do is keep your mouth shut and live a godly life and esteem them in Jesus. Is the greatest thing you can do to see them develop mature in maturity and spiritually. And I've seen that played out over and over, whether it's in marriage or in relationships or with your children. And I, even in my own home, I, I have to be very careful about that because I, I want and desire for my family to have such encounters and experience with God. I'm constantly trying to push that, but I can't make them happen. And I can't bring them into those encounters. I can just bring them to the doorstep. And that's by living that life in me and letting them be exposed to that. And, and the greatest thing I can do is walk in unity with them as much as I'm allowed to by the gospel so that that spirit of Christ Jesus can run from the head down. And in the family of God, one of the greatest things we can do as people as they begin to come in here is, is allow them to experience on their own the presence of God that's flowing through us and not let them feel any type of condemnation or judgment because they're not seeing and feeling and moving at the same pace we are. And we have to allow God to work in them just as he's worked in us. And if it means we have to put up with dirty diapers and, and, and spilt milk all over the carpet and offenses personally that have been given, then that's what we endure. And in a minute, the, the, the faith is that that relationship will change, that person will develop, and they in their own account are going to recognize their need for a deeper relationship with God and you. And then you can actually deal with some of those things that are hurting their own growth and development and their own goodness and their own life. But I, we we got to be mature to the place that we're, we're allowing God to get them there before we destroy the relationships and put such a fence on them that they never can hear or see from us what God intended for them to receive. So, I, yeah. Jesus, I love you. Bless us tonight, God. I just pray that your words go into our heart. I thank you. Help us to see, God. Help us to walk in a maturity that allows other people to grow and come into, into you, Father. Let them have an encounter with you, Father, that allows faith to spring up into their hearts. And let us be patient with them as you've been patient with us. And let other people be patient with us as you've been patient with them, Lord. And let us become unified and become one. And let us come into agreement to be, Father, a family that is united in you. Let us agree to live in unity with one another and to put to rest any division that attempts to tear us apart. God, let the family of God be restored as, as one, a united body living in perfect harmony. Father, let us form a consistent choreography as we move throughout our generation. Let us have a common perspective, shared value, that Jesus is king and that you are the answer for our generation and that from you all blessing in life flows, Jesus. I love you and I bless you and I thank you. God, seal your word up in our hearts. In Jesus' name, you all be blessed.